Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent. I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. This is September 10th, 2014. We have a wonderful show today with our very special guest, Dinah Proctor. She's a life and business coach, inspirational speaker, and the best-selling author of her book called Madly Chasing Peace, How I Went from Hell to Happy in Nine Minutes a Day. (laughs) And um, we're going to be talking today about the mind-body connection. I've had numerous shows on this topic, on this topic, but today I think that we're going to be um, covering some more in-depth issues relative to the mind and the body. So let me bring onto our show now. Is it Dinah? Am, am I pronouncing oh, your name correctly? Dina, but that's okay. Dina. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't want to be, you know, doing that through the whole show. All right. That's so, okay. um, hello, Dina. Hi, Denise. Thank you so much for having me. Today we're going to get in depth on the mind-body connection. But before we start, my guests typically are asked this very interesting question. How did you get on the path that you're on today? Mm, Such a great question. Um, I would say that I'm really on this path quite unintentionally. (laughs) You know, if you would have told me five years ago that this is what I would be doing, sharing my story and inventing, you know, really kind of creating a modality that's helping lots of people transform their lives and not having a day job and having a book, I never, ever would have believed you. So, um, you know, my story starts uh, towards the end of 2008 is when I hit a rock bottom point in my life. And I was heavily addicted to alcohol. I had spent more than 10 years in and out of clinical, you know, diagnosed clinical uh, depression, major depressive disorder. And I had spent, though, you know, that, that decade really searching for 
something to give me that sense of well-being, that sense of being at home and comfortable inside of my own self. And it eluded me, and that's what led me down the path to desperation and addiction and, you know, contributed to my depression. And um, at the end of 2008 is when I reached a point where I couldn't live with who I was becoming anymore because Mm -hmm. in my addiction I, I became someone that I couldn't recognize. I was stealing money. I was lying to people. I was drinking all day long, you know, drinking at work. I couldn't live with who I was becoming. And I had chosen a date to take my own life. Like that was my kind of rock bottom point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Coming out of that, I ended up, you know, in an addiction recovery program. And the woman who I chose to coach me through the program (laughs) instructed me that I needed to learn to meditate. And at the time, that instruction seemed completely ridiculous and not practical. You know, I really balked when she told me to do that. (laughs) But, you know, she was really good with me. She was very tough love with me. And, um you know, kind of understood where I was coming from. But at the same time, she was saying, like, you've tried everything else. You've tried different boyfriends. You've tried different jobs, different places to live, different roommate situations. Nothing's curing you in, you know, what you've tried to fix inside of yourself. So why don't you try my way <laughs> for a while? And, you know, she had, she had a really good point. And so her instruction to me was to sit still every morning for 20 minutes and focus on my breathing. And I really didn't think it would do much of anything, but I thought, well, it's not going to hurt anything either, so I will give it a try. And the first few mornings, I would set my timer like she told me to, set, set the timer for 20 minutes and really sit and try and focus on my breathing. But because I was in a state of withdrawal, you know, physically withdrawing from alcohol, um, mm-hmm. horrible, negative, depressive, suicidal thoughts, uh, my body would start shaking and sweating uncontrollably, and it would become physically Ooh. intolerable for me to sit still for longer than three minutes at a time. So I would do, you know, kind of the, the, in the morning, max out about uh-huh. three minutes, and it, but a couple hours later, it would nag at me. You know, like I, I only could do three minutes. Like, what's wrong with me? She told me to do 20. So I would sit and try and see how many more minutes I could get a little bit later in the day. And what, what was really amazing was that it would consistently max out at about the three-minute mark. So I would do three minutes several times a day, you know, just to make her 20-minute quota. And that ended up being the catalyst, the creation of this three-minute here, three-minute there meditation, which oh, is now evened out. Smart. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's, that's kind of what became what I call three-by-three three meditation now, three minutes, three times a day. So that was the beginning of the modality, and then everything else just fell into place from there. At what point did you finally make it to the full 20 minutes, consecutive 20 minutes? <laughs> well, you know what was amazing was that after eight weeks of this kind of three-minute stuff, I had an experience in what I can only call a state of higher consciousness, and that state lasted with me for about three days, and it was the happiest, most blissful, grounded, no mind chatter state that I've ever been in, and I know very few people who've experienced that unless they've had like a near-death experience, you know, that sort of thing, and so after I had that experience, it was clear to me that I didn't need to do any more than three minutes, but the several times a day was what the key was. Well, for me, I didn't really even aim to, you know, continue and and do the or try to extend the time longer than that because I was getting effective results with just doing three minutes several times a day. I mean, now, you know, for the past couple of years, I can 
sit still in meditation for 20 minutes or longer. I've been on retreats or listened to guided meditations, and it's, you know, it's enjoyable for me. And, and of course, I can do it. You know, it's, it's nice mm-hmm. to be able to do that. But if I want to have a breakthrough in my life or transform something, I always go back to three by three because that keeps me more focused than a longer meditation does. And just it's just for me personally, but I find that for me personally, the shorter bursts of meditation several times a day ends up being the catalyst for my transformation. Interesting. Yeah. In those three minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. Do you concentrate on just one thought? Well, it depends on what I'm looking to transform. You know, in the beginning, when I was mm-hmm. really a disaster as a human being, like in those first weeks when I was trying to meditate, all I would do was sit in those three minutes and just say, I'm open and willing, just show me, just show me. Because I was so desperate and so out of answers, and I had no idea how to move myself forward, how to get out of this horrible, you know, kind of emotional state that I was in. And so that's the only thought that I held for those three minutes. And it was really a place of surrender. And that ended up after eight weeks, you know, kind of blasting me into that state of higher consciousness. And so that was, I guess you could say, the intention or thought that I held during that early period. Now, if I want to have a breakthrough, like say that there's something that I want to change or heal or improve the wellness Mm -hmm. of about my body or financial situation. And so Mm -hmm. I'll always take an intention for seven days at a time and focus exclusively on that intention during my three-by-threes. And then every seven days, kind of take my temperature with it. Do I want to stay with that one? Do I want to tweak it a little bit? Do I want to change the intention entirely? So I do tend to take on an exclusive focus within my meditations, but I do it for just seven days at a time, and then I reevaluate from there when I want to change it. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, it's just, and you know, it's just trial and error. Nobody taught me this. I didn't, it was just what worked for me. Like I tell people all the time, three by three wouldn't exist if I was capable of following instructions. <laughs> you know, like if I could have followed what she told me to do, the 20 minutes, then three by three wouldn't even exist. So I always tell people, you know, it's about what guides us intuitively, where our highest inner self or that divine guidance is guiding us personally, because, you know, three by three is extremely effective for me, for my clients, for the people around the world that resonate with it. But I don't think it's by, by any means, you know, the only modality that's effective. But my point is I want it to be available to people, especially because we have such a busy society. It's like, when am I going to have time to meditate? I'll meditate when I retire. I'll meditate when the kids leave for college, you know, like I'll meditate 25 years from now. And we don't have time or, or think it's possible to have it in our everyday lives. And so that's why I want, that's why I am so passionate about sharing this modality because it's been so effective for me and for people, um, you know, that resonate with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you're a, an excellent example of an individual who's healed from an addiction and, that is such a difficult thing to do, and it is a lifelong um, process mm-hmm. in staying sober. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing is that when I was in addiction recovery, I remember that the woman who was coaching me through it 
told me, she said, you know, Dina, the addiction isn't your problem. It's your solution, right? The problem was these negative thoughts, this emptiness I felt inside of myself. And so now alcohol doesn't even appeal to me as a solution. I, I'm not afraid to be alone with a bottle of vodka or, you know, I don't, I have, alcohol just has zero power over me anymore. And it's because I've, I've evolved spiritually and emotionally to the point where it's like, I don't have that, that problem, quote unquote, anymore. So I don't need that solution anymore. It just doesn't appeal to me. It's off my radar. Um, you know, if I was still in depression or struggling with emotional issues or hadn't done my inner work to have the breakthroughs and transformation I've had, then yes, it might be a struggle to, you know, control myself over alcohol, around alcohol or something. But it's just, it's just an absolute non-issue um, today. So I, I do get what you're saying, and I, I know that there are thousands and probably millions of people who struggle with addiction on a daily basis, even if, you know, they haven't had a drink in years. But I know from my own experience that it's possible to lose that appetite for it and compulsiveness or, or you know, the, the fact that it has some sort of power over you. I know that it's possible to be able to be healed from that. Uh, that that's wonderful to hear. It's yeah. almost like you're saying... It's almost like you're saying that you can rewire your brain. You can rewire your brain. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's so true. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. true. Because you think differently. Mm-hmm. Your brain is different. Your, the cells of your body are different. It is entirely possible to transform all of that. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that it takes something spiritual to help you through it for for instance you talk about reinventing god in your book mm-hmm. so here's my thing on spirituality is that because i i grew up um catholic you know i grew up believing in god i went to church all the time i went to parochial school i was really comfortable with the idea of god but as i became an adult and in you know kind of it's a little bit of a long story, but I was having experiences where I was like, how, what, how come the world is this way if there is a God? Why isn't God intervening and saving people and making things better and, you know, all these kind of things? So I had <clears throat> my own struggle in my early 20s, and I had just come to the conclusion then that it doesn't matter if there's a God or not, you know, that type of thing. And it's so interesting because when I went through – those first eight weeks of trying to meditate when I was coming out of, you know, suicidal depression and withdrawing from addiction, I was saying inside my meditation, I'm open, I'm willing, just show me. But I didn't even believe in God at the time. I didn't know who the heck I was even talking to. I was really just opening up this place of surrender inside of myself. And those were the words that would go on over and over inside of my head. So what happened is, and and in the Reinventing God chapter especially is where I talk about my kind of spiritual journey. But my conclusion was that for me today, and this is just for me personally, my experience, my perspective, is that God for me is an energy source that we can either align with or cut ourselves off from. God for me is the creative intelligence that designed my body. You know, I could sit down with a pen and paper or, you know, a fancy computer program and try to design a human body. There's no way. I don't have the 
the, the intelligence or capability to be able to design this amazing body that I happen to inhabit, you know? There are things I don't even understand about my body. Like, I'm not fully sure how exactly my body knows that, you know, to kind of stay alive when I'm asleep and not aware of it or how exactly food <laughs> digests or how exactly, you know, the air transfer is going on in my lungs. Like, I don't really understand to the, you know, microscopic level how any of that is happening. And yet, here it is, it's happening. And so for me, God is the creative source and intelligence behind that. And when I had mm-hmm. had that experience in higher consciousness, like my, my awareness was above and behind my body. Like I was physically outside of, but tethered to my body. And so that, and, it, and it's kind of like um, when people have an out of body or a near death type of experience, mm-hmm. that's it's like a half step to something like that. It wasn't fully out, but, you know, something like that. And it was really clear to me that my body is only like 5% of what and who I really am. And this what and who that I really am, this 95% is this creative, loving, positive energy force, this source that's animating and, you know, kind of directing the intelligence of this body that I'm inhabiting. So for me, um, like God is almost like the energy of the sun. You know, we can be out in the sun. The sun isn't diminished by however many people want to be out in the sun. I could be out in the sun all day long getting fried red as a lobster, and nobody's going to come up to me and say, hey, stop hogging the sun. You're sunburned already. Like, let me get a chance at the sun. It's like the sun isn't diminished by any, everyone, anyone and everyone you know, going and putting ourselves in front of it and, and, and using that energy for big or for small things. And so that's how I feel about what God is, like that source energy that we can either choose to align with or we can choose or just maybe even not even realize that we're cutting ourselves off from it. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I say It's almost like the force, right? Like in Star Wars, that's mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of what God <laughs> is for me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it's interesting when you were talking about how five percent of what and who you are uh-huh. um, is your the physical part of you, mm-hmm. uh, because our conscious mind is only five percent of us. The other ninety five percent is subconsciousness. Oh, right. I didn't even know that. I mean, I knew the subconscious was bigger, but I didn't know it was that vastly bigger. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so most of what we do is through our subconscious, and it's 95% of the time. It's like, why do I feel like that? Or didn't I experience this before sometime? Or... Have I been to that place before? Kind of interesting. Yeah. In your book, you talk scary. about the damn laundry. In your book, you talk about the damn laundry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's talk about the damn laundry. Okay, sure. Um, that whole chapter was about being able to have a deeply fulfilling, almost kind of meditative spiritual experience while doing mundane chores or everyday activities such as laundry. So laundry was something that um, I had always had huge resistance to. And people can have different resistances to, you know, different things. For some people it's cleaning their house or getting the bills done or growing grocery shopping. Just I'm just talking about mundane things that we need to do in order to keep up um, like our daily lives. 
for mine, I always had huge resistance to the laundry. And laundry was something that I had to drink. I had to drink in the morning or whatever it was before I would start doing the laundry because otherwise I just wouldn't get any of it done. I had such huge resistance. And so what ended up happening was um, I was talking to my, the person who was coaching me at the time, and I said, how do you get through activities that you just don't feel like doing? Like I'm going to work. I don't feel like going through all this paper. I don't feel like answering the phone. I just want to be in bed all day, but I have to go to work. Or I'm out of clothes. I have to do the laundry. Like how do I get up to speed with or lose my resistance to doing these things that I quote unquote have to do during the day. And the woman who was coaching me at the time, her response to me was, don't do anything until you feel like doing it. And that didn't really make sense to me at first because I thought, well, that means I'm just going to stay in bed all day, every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> I don't really feel like doing any of these things. And so yeah. her, her, I know. Her point to me, and where the, which she further took it to, took me down the path for me to realize, was that when we're trying to get something done through willpower or motivation or making ourselves do something or struggling and feeling like we're pushing the boulder uphill just to get it done because we'll feel better when it's all over with, that's the place of you know trying to power through our resistance. So she instructed me to use my meditations, and here's the example of the laundry, and she was like, just picture that you feel neutral towards it. Picture yourself in your three-by-threes, and I know it sounds a little, you know, kind of very uh, oversimplistic <laughs> to visualize myself doing the laundry, but that's what I did, and it was probably like, I don't know, a week, two weeks, something like that, and I would just, I felt silly, but I would just set my timer for three minutes and imagine myself doing the laundry. And after several days of doing this, I was in my visualization. It was like, this is kind of enjoyable. Like, I like watching the bubbles form and the bottom of the washing machine and the soap smells good. And like, I like to feel the clothes against my body when they're warm from the dryer. And so I was doing these visualizations. And then when laundry day came around, it was like, I kind of want to do the laundry. And I ended up, as I went in that day to do the laundry that day, I ended up in tears of just bliss because my resistance had gone all the way down. I wasn't doing it because I had to. I was doing it because it was enjoyable. It was fun. It was pleasurable for me to be washing my clothes. And I was present while I was doing it. I had no resistance to it. And it was a really kind of spiritual experience. And so that's the point that I'm trying to make like in that chapter of the book is like, even our mm -hmm. most mundane chores or the things that we mm -hmm. have resistance to, we can use these little visualizations to get over that. You know, I did it when I wanted to start running. I had never run a day in my life because I had never had a tiger chasing me. I was, I was not a runner, you know. And, um, <laughs> you, you know, like a couple years ago, I just decided, like, I'd love to start running. Like, I want to like running. I don't like running, but I wish I liked it. I wish I was a runner. And so in my meditations, I would just picture myself successfully running around one block. You know, the first three or four days, it feels dumb. It feels um, overly simplistic. It feels like this is going to never work and all that. But once you reach, you know, seven days, 14 days, when you're doing these visualizations, I came out of one of my meditations. I would I guess it was around the two-and-a-half-week mark. 
And um, one of my afternoon meditations, I came out of it and I just thought, I, I really need to just put on these running shoes because I'm so inspired to go running around that block. And so I finally, you know, got into action from it. But the action wasn't like willpower. I didn't have to set my timer and get myself out of bed and power myself through it. It was, there was nothing more I wanted to do than to go for that run. And so that's how I live my everyday life. That's how I manage the to-do list or, you know, kind of, getting the things done that I don't feel like doing. It's how I altered my relationship with food and how I came to have an intuitive eating practice so I'm not using willpower and management of calories and carbs and all of that stuff to manage my diet. It's like I'm just tuning in with within and trusting that the cells in my body have the intelligence that they need to communicate to me exactly what they want, and then my body's fitness takes care of itself when I listen to that message. And so that's what the, <laughs> the damn laundry that chapter is about, is um, taking something that feels like a struggle, using those three-by-three three meditations to get yourself to a place where it actually you start changing the way that you think about it and your perspective of it, and then you alter your physical experience of it, and it becomes way more enjoyable or fun or manageable. Well, you know, another really good example of the mind-body connection is when you were talking about in your book um, relative to, to an illness that you used to get all the time as a child, and how when you became more aware and started u- utilizing your three-by-three three meditation, all of a sudden you weren't getting sick anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what you're referring to is, um, just for people listening in, is like when I was a kid I used to get strep throat uh, several times every winter, you know, at least twice, usually three or four times every winter, I would predictably get strep throat. And one year I was in college, and even in college I would predictably get strep throat. And I had spent part of my junior year of college uh, studying abroad. And, of course, predictably strep throat um, came on that, that winter, as always did, but the thing was is that it was really hard in a foreign country, the insurance, the medication, like the clinic, the, the doctor. It was such a nightmare when I was so sick and all I wanted to do was just curl up in bed that I just made a decision while that was happening and I just said, I am over this. I am just, this is intolerable for me. I don't want to live like this anymore. And I made like this mental decision where I really cut off the possibility in my mind of ever coming down with strep throat again. And it never has come back. And after that, you know, in, in the subsequent years, just because I was so used to getting it all the time, sometimes I would kind of feel it coming on, but I would just tell myself, like, oh, that's just a ghost. It's just a ghost of how it used to feel when I used to get strep throat. I'm not a person who gets strep throat anymore. This will pass. You know, and I kind of talked myself out of it. And this is when I was in college. Like, I hadn't even, I didn't know about meditation. I didn't know, I hadn't invented three by three. You know, this is like <laughs> almost 20 years ago. But um, but it, it's just evidence when I look back over my life, and I've heard other people say this too, like decisions they made as a kid or spontaneous healings that they've had. It's like our mind has that power. When something becomes intolerable to us, we have sometimes and may even have examples in our own lives of when it, we've had a spontaneous healing or some chronic illness or condition just started clearing up and never came back because we decided inside of ourselves that that was not something that was going to happen to us anymore. We were just done dealing with that. And so, you know, after I invented 
three by three, I just looked back over my life and thought, my gosh, I do have examples of where I can clearly see that my mind and belief trumped what was going on in my body. Yes, and there actually it's been proven that your thoughts do affect the cells in your body. Um, Bruce Lipton, the author of the book, The Biology of Belief, he, he's a scientist, and when you read his book, you realize that the power from within for healing is so much more, um, it's so strong. And if you, if you have um, a belief system that goes along with that, you can, you can heal just about anything. I completely agree with that. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. 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 I love his work. I love that book. He's amazing. Really fantastic. And it's it's really good to just, like, understand how it works, you know. He was one of the first mm-hmm. people that put those, put those pieces together for me, you know, connected those dots. Um, mm-hmm. Because I interviewed him, I interviewed him to be in, to be a part of my book because I knew that my book title, you know, nine minutes a day, it kind of sounded like four minute abs, you know, it has like a little bit of a salesy, cheesy, like, is it even possible mm-hmm. to be able to have transformation like that? And I thought, my gosh, if I can just have somebody who's who I respect that, you know, could, I could talk to and say, listen, this is what I've been doing. These are the healings I've been experiencing. Can you explain my ability to do this when all I'm doing is having an, a vivid visualization for three minutes, three times a day? And so he was able to kind of answer those questions for me, connect the dots, so I understood the power of the subconscious mind, interrupting the subconscious programming and laying new neural pathways in the brain, which then extend to experiencing physical healing and increased wellness in the body. That's right. That's right. And I think that's particularly <laughs> important for, for um, our listeners to understand. It's not just a thought. There's actual physical science behind it. Yep, yep. It's so true because so many times I've read, Denise, you may know this better than I do, um, I've read in a couple different places we have like 60,000 or something like that thoughts a day and like over 90% of them are the same thoughts we had yesterday, the day before, the year before, and 10 years before. It's like we have these same thoughts and no wonder we have the same kind of experience, whether it's whether it's good mm-hmm. or bad, whether it's a lot of money or a little bit of money or um, great experiences in relationships or not so great experiences in relationships. It's like I can look back in my life over my 20s and, you know, people that I dated or jobs that I had, and I would just think to myself, how on earth did my old boss or did my old boyfriend get reincarnated into this new boyfriend that I'm dating? Like how on earth is this even possible that, you know, but what was happening was the other people were the mirrors that we had. So I was moving around and changing my situations and my circumstances, but I was taking myself with me. And so I would have these repeated experiences. And so that's, 
you know, why it seems, I know people might be able to relate when I say it seems like we've dated the same guy over and over again or, mm-hmm. you know, those sorts of things. We have that, but it's, it's like the outside world is just mirroring what's going on inside of ourselves. And so if we want to create real transformation, it's about, it's mm-hmm. about exactly what you're saying, rewiring that thinking, rewiring the thought patterns, the perspective, literally the neural pathways in our brain because when we do that, the vibe we exude is different and that extends to our physical reality coming to match that new kind of, you know, vibe, for lack of a better word, that we're, right. we're exuding. Well, what, yeah. what, we tend, what we tend to do is repeat patterns. Mm. And at some point, if that's not working for you, you've got to figure out how to change that. Mm-hmm. Because each individual has the responsibility to do that. Nobody else can do it for them. Yeah. That's really true. That's really true. So perhaps there's somebody out there listening right now that has an addiction that they would dearly love to get rid of. Mm. Um, How long would it take them to see some results if they started your three-by-three meditation practices? Yeah. What I would say is what got me through the addiction um, was having the daily, sometimes, you know, several times a day support of other people. So I would definitely encourage anybody struggling with an addiction of any kind to reach out to a support group or even a hotline or somebody else that has been there because that was a huge part of my own healing. Um, Mm. And then, you know, yeah, so, and of course, I went through the steps of the addiction recovery program. I spent a year intensely doing that. But the foundation of my work in the addiction recovery program was all underlined by the the meditation practice that I was doing. So when I went through, it made amends to people that I had wronged and for, you know, things I had Mm -hmm. stolen and people that I had hurt, I did active visualizations within it in order to facilitate those conversations and to lose resistance um, and come to own and become comfortable and, and, you know, just really self-forgiving about what I had done and what I had gone through. So for me, the steps of the addiction recovery program were absolutely crucial to my healing, but it was also absolutely crucial that I use meditation as the underlying way of going through those steps because otherwise if I had still had resistance or held resentment or not has kind of cleaned myself out emotionally as thoroughly as I did with the help of meditation I would most certainly not be as healthy as I am today for sure you know so Mm -hmm. I, I, I understand the gist of your question is kind of like okay well when can we expect to see results that sort of thing um, and I, I think for, for different things, it's different for different people. But I will say that every single person that has reported back to me, whether it's just been somebody on the other side of the world who's read my book and tried 3 by 3 whether it's a client that I've been working with for months at a time, whoever it is that has used 3 by 3 for seven, just seven days at a time, every single one, 100%, has always told me, you know, it, it, I feel differently or I am starting to think differently about whatever it is that was bothering me. So I Mm. would say that in as little as seven days, even if the problem isn't cured and the thing isn't healed and the money isn't, you know, completely there, it's like you start to have some breathing room. You start to have some 
space around what had been keeping you stuck. There feels like there's some possibility where there may not have felt like possibility before. So always okay. working with, you know, a mentor, somebody mm-hmm. who guides you, a program, whatever. But that's the feedback that I've gotten from people that report back to me or email me randomly and just tell me how 3 by 3 is affecting them. That's good. It's, it's like taking one baby step at a time. One step at a time. And the more you can play full out with it and play thoroughly, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like lifting weights. If you've never been to the gym before, you can't expect to be in bodybuilder shape within seven days, but you can expect to, you know, have a feeling like you're on the right path. Your muscles are doing something they've never done before. It feels good that things are starting to move and there's possibility and there's a snowball effect from that. You know, once things start moving and going well, it, you know, becomes a well-oiled machine and it takes you going forward. So, this is, um, it's, it's, it's like a spiritual muscle that you're working, and that's how I, how I think of it is as, you know, kind of a, a spiritual muscle that I'm working in to stay in shape. I need to exercise that spiritual muscle several times a day, different than what, how you would exercise your body. But, you know, you still need to upkeep taking care of your body the same way you need to upkeep taking care of your, your spiritual life and your emotional life too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We we basically have to interrupt those old patterns and create new ones. Yep. And um, yep. but we we also have to understand what those are too. You know, awareness comes first. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, this is a really um, good topic to to cover. But before we we get into that, I just wanted to um, let our listeners uh, know that today we're talking with. Dina Proctor, and she's the best-selling author of the book Madly Chasing Peace, How I Went from Hell to Happy in Nine Minutes a Day. I wanted to get into the discussion of um, how um, our thoughts create our reality. Mm. And it's a, it's a pretty big topic to cover but um, I'm sure you can come up with some examples of what this does. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the way that I understand it, and I can tap in on a little bit of what um, Bruce Lipton uh, had shared with me, you know, the uh, Mm well-regarded cell biologist that I had interviewed. So Mm -hmm. he had shared with me that the, the, the power of what I was doing and being able to rewire the way that I was thinking was exact, it, it ties back to exactly what you had said before, Denise, about interrupting those subconscious programming. And so several times a day, interrupting those, those 60,000 thoughts that are going on and on and on and going in and like cutting a tape, like almost like a tape recorder and bringing mm-hmm. scissors and cutting that old tape so that it has no longer has that power over us. And so I can ah. use, for example, like let's use food cravings for an example, okay? So okay. Um, when I quit drinking so much, I started eating so much, right? And I went up a couple sizes and I really struggled with um, junk food just all day long and obsessive and excessive and really, you know, gross, (laughs) really. And so I was just eating nonstop, but it was kind of my bridge to get me through, you know, it it was 
it was what I needed to do in order to leave alcohol behind. It was my bridge, I guess, addiction. And so um, when, when I was realizing, like, I really want, I'm at the point now that I'm stable enough in my addiction recovery program, and I know that I'm ready to lose this weight, and I want to lose this dependency on junk food and self-soothing and emotional eating and all of these kind of things. And so um, what I did, and I didn't even know why this was effective at the time, but just in my meditation, it occurred to me that anytime I would have a food craving, that instead of giving into it right away, that I would drink a tall glass of water and then take three deep breaths and ask myself, like, do I need to give in to this food craving right now or can I wait three minutes or five minutes or eight minutes or whatever? And so in that practice, sometimes in the very beginning, I would drink that glass of water and then go eat a bag of Oreos or a bag of potatoes, <laughs> whatever it is. You know, like in the beginning, it was like that muscle was oh my so gosh. weak. Yeah, really. I mean, it was not cute the way that I but, um You were playing a little, but, a little self-game, weren't you? Yeah, it's exactly right. It's exactly right. But that's where it was powerful because even though – I was still giving in and having that bag of potato chips or that bag of cookies or whatever it is in the very beginning. I was, this is where it was effective was that I was still interrupting it before I gave into it. And that was the very small little crack in the armor where the, that food addiction stopped running me. You see? So it's like I would Mm -hmm. just, instead of it being like this craving is running me and I'm a zombie and I have to just honor it because that's how it used to be with alcohol, with food. I would have a craving and suddenly half a bottle of wine is gone and I don't even remember opening the bottle. It's like I would just become Mm -hmm. this zombie and be, you Mm -hmm. know, directed by it. But here it was like, okay, I'm making a conscious choice. And so I am consciously choosing to overeat this stuff right now, but it's different to make a conscious choice than it is to be a zombie. And this is like a small step. Um, you know, it's really just a very beginner step, but it's an important one to establish that the addiction isn't running my behavior anymore. I have a choice here. And so what ended up happening was that I would, I started noticing that my food cravings were becoming further and further apart. And so sometimes they would still be intense, but there would be more and more time between them. Normally I would have like, you know, a million food cravings a day. And then I would notice like, oh, three days has gone by and I haven't had an overwhelming food craving. And I really attribute it to because when I would interrupt and have that glass of water and then I would say, you know, I don't need to do this right now. I'm going to give myself five minutes. And then I would go make some tea or check the mail or call a friend or take a walk around the block. And half the time, by the end of five minutes had gone by, it's like I distracted myself enough that the craving passed, that that it lost its power over me. And that's where I'm not necessarily advising people that this is like the way to heal an addiction. I definitely think support group and oh, all no. of those kind of things definitely have an right. But, you know, just to make the point of the power of interrupting that subconscious programming, first of all, it's what you said before. It's the awareness. I am, <clears throat> I am aware that this craving is here and that it's about to overtake me and then consciously interrupting it by having that glass of water and doing something to distract myself. Even if sometimes I still go back and and give into that craving, I've still accomplished the interruption. And that is a powerful way to start on the path of leaving those cravings behind. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, You mentioned um, Jack Canfield that um, uh-huh. you had gained a lot of support from him. Can you yeah. enlighten us on his work? 
Oh, yeah. Jack is amazing. And I always credit, like, I don't think, with that, I don't believe there's only one way to do anything. But the way that I came to have my coaching career and my book and all of that was because of the light that he held for me and his belief in me and my message before I could see it for myself. And so he yeah, he's amazing, really, really amazing. And his his work um, is he's very spiritual, very into, um, you know, a lot of the same things and law of attraction and importance of connecting inside to your highest self and your highest guidance and your innermost being and all of those things. And so um, I've learned a lot from him about being able to navigate um, like the practical kind of business world, but being being guided by your intuition on the inside. Because a lot of times it looks like, wait, I'm trying to build a business or do marketing or make money. What does that have to do with my intuitive guidance? My intuitive guidance is more for my spiritual life, and this is different. But actually it's not. Like everything in our physical world can be guided by that same higher wisdom source. And so that's really um, that it's not the only thing that he knows how to do, and I'm sure people listening in that know his work have gotten something completely different when they have worked with him or read his book. But that is what him and his work has meant for me, is like bringing spirituality practically into writing a book, marketing, building a business, you know, that, that whole aspect of my life. Did you take a workshop or what happened there? Oh, yeah. How did you meet I, him? Um, I met him because I went to one of his workshops and something inside of me told me I had seen an email come through that was advertising his workshop. And honestly, I really didn't even really know who he was. I had heard of chicken soup for the soul. And I was like, anybody who writes something called chicken soup for the soul has to be a good person. You know, I just thought something good to go to whatever. And, um, you know, one thing led to another and I, at the retreat, something inside of me said, share a little bit of your writing. And it's, another synchronistic story how I started even writing but um, I had had a little bit of writing that I had shared with maybe five people on the planet and did not plan to share it with many more <laughs> but I something told me share your writing with Jack just ask him if he would read it and so I brought a couple like blog posts that I was sharing just with people who were in the addiction recovery program that I was coaching or that were coaching me it was a very small amount of people and he read it and he read one post and he just looked at me and he goes do you have any more? And I was like, uh, yeah, I do, actually. I have more. And he, was, he, he read, like, you know, two, three, or four, whatever I had brought. He read all that sure. I had brought. And he just said, you know, this message can really help people. I like this whole three-by-three three thing. Your writing is raw. It's compelling. It's really powerful for people to read your story. Have you thought about turning it into a book? And I was like, um, no, I can't write a book. I'm not, don't you understand? Like, I'm not a writer. I'm an administrative assistant. I don't write books. <laughs> not what I even want to. It wasn't even what I wanted to do. And then he said, have you, thought of, have you thought about being a coach? And I was thinking in the back of my head, like, you don't really need any certification to be a coach. That's kind of like not legitimate. I don't even want to be a coach because I thought it was kind of a woo-woo, weird, weird, you know, happy, la-la kind of career, right? So I was like, yeah, thanks, thanks for the idea. You know, thanks, but no thanks type of thing. But, you know, he set me up. Like, while I was at that retreat that weekend, I ended up meeting, um, getting connected with uh, my editor and uh, getting connected with a woman who, who coached me business-wise just for a season, but it gave me a jump start, and she convinced mm-hmm. me that coaching is actually legitimate and 
all of those sorts of things. So that going on that retreat, meeting him and having the people he was connected to support me onward, and of course keeping in touch with him and keeping him up to speed on what I was doing was just that was how the foundation was built on how I was able to create what I've created today. Oh my gosh, that's just a great story. Really a yeah. great story. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're starting to um, run out of time. I would like you to tell the listeners again about your book, where they can purchase it. Um, since you are a life and business coach and a speaker, where you can be contacted. Oh, yeah, sure. So everything is just on my website, and it's the same as the title of my book. It's really easy. It's just madlychasingpeace.com. And so there's contact information on there, information about the book. The book is also on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble's um, information on my coaching, individual coaching, business coaching. I'm also doing coaching certification. This is the person who didn't even think coaching was legitimate, and now I'm certifying other people to be coaches. I mean, like, the, the universe is, like, laughing at how, you know, it's really funny how it all turns out. But I'm coaching mm-hmm. people on how to not only use 3x3 three three in their lives, but also to bring it to the individuals and businesses that they coach. So it's, okay. it's all just really unfolding in such a beautiful way. But, yeah, the best contact is just right on that website, Madly Chasing Peace. Oh, that's just great. Just great. You've been <laughs> so much fun. I've really enjoyed this interview. And, oh, I'm um, glad. Me too. Hopefully, yeah, and hopefully you'll come back again um, perhaps sometime next year because we're fully booked through this year. <laughs> but um, thank you so much, Dina Proctor. Um, May you continue your your professionalism and your writing. And thank, thank you, so you so much, much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, listeners, um, please tune in again next Wednesday. We'll have another great show for you, and I really do appreciate you tuning in. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? Listeners, just want to remind you the entire contents of this radio show are based upon the opinions of Denise and her guest. It's not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional, and it's not intended as medical advice. We encourage you to make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and a partnership with a qualified healthcare professional of your choice. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.